0: Does it mean to fear the Lord? Proverbs nine ten says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we think about fearing the Lord, biblically speaking, as respecting God, trusting God, serving God, obeying God, while also understanding God's justice. But what happens when we say that we fear the Lord, but we also dabble with other gods? That's the point that Jesus is getting at in this section on the Sermon on the Mount. We're here in Matthew chapter 6, and it's the subject of John Wesley's ninth discourse on the Sermon on the Mount, the topic of serving God or serving mammon, why we can't do both. Hello again, and welcome to Wednesdays with Wesley. I'm Bob Kaler, your host. Glad that you're joining me here on Wednesday or whatever day you're listening in as we continue our march through the sermons of John Wesley on the Sermon on the Mount, these discourses. At the beginning of this discourse, Wesley is diving into this dilemma that we seem to see everywhere in our culture, and it was certainly part of Wesley's culture, and it was part of ancient culture as well, this idea of syncretism that we tend to want to worship God, but we'll also worship other gods that are more material. And so Wesley begins this discourse by looking at, example, at an example from 2 Kings chapter 17, which is the story of the invasion of the king of Assyria into the northern kingdom of Israel. and carries away the people of into Assyria, uh, sort of a mini exile there, and eventually resettles that area which we now know as samaria by with with people from a variety of different nations and indeed he sends one of the israelite priests back there to teach them how they should worship the lord in those days remember that the ancients thought that deities were more territorial of course the hebrews didn't believe that but but that god's tended to have boundaries and territories and so the king of Assyria is simply thinking that, well, we want to honor the God who was originally the God over this territory. So he sends one of these Israelite priests back there to teach them how they should worship the Lord. But what winds up happening is a kind of syncretism. Verse 29 of Second Kings 17 says that every nation still made gods of its own. All of these people who came back in and were resettled in this area began to practice their former customs. So you have a variety of, of a hodgepodge of religions coming into this area of Samaria, along with sort of the original Israelite religion there of worshiping Yahweh. And verse 33, which is the one that Wesley refers to here at the beginning of the sermon, says this, this was the situation. They worshiped, they feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. And the text says then to, to this day, when the writer was writing Second Kings, to this day, they continue to practice the former customs. And we see this throughout the history of Israel. We see it throughout our own history. And that's where Wesley picks up this theme. He says, how nearly does the practice of most modern Christians resemble this of the ancient heathens? They fear the Lord. They show him outward service but they also serve their own gods. They worship the gods of this world. Back then it was gods of wood and gold and silver. Today, those gods are gods of money, pleasure, praise, and a whole lot of other things that we might worship. And so Wesley then goes on to get to verses 34 to 40 of 2 Kings 17 and says that the Holy Spirit determines through the writer of this text that this is the judgment that will come upon them. 2 Kings seventeen thirty four to 40. They do not worship the Lord. They do not follow the statutes or the ordinances or the law or the commandment of the Lord. Commandment commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them. You shall not worship other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. But you shall worship the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. The statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandments that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to observe. You shall not worship other gods. You shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not worship other gods, but you shall worship the Lord your God. He will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. But the problem was... They did not continue to worship God, and thus judgment came upon them. And this is evidence for Wesley, this particular text, that the people were trying to serve two different masters, two different kinds of gods. And Wesley says how vain it is for anyone to aim at this. You cannot serve two gods. For the true God, the God of the universe, is not one who will share loyalty to him. You can't serve two masters, Wesley says, because you can't love them both equally. We naturally hold on to the gods that we love, and we perform for them diligent and faithful service, and we'll hate the other god and his demands on our time and our energy. Now, the word mammon here that is used in some of the more classic translations in the text is actually an Aramaic word. It's an Aramaic name for money or possessions. And when Jesus uses this terminology in Matthew chapter 6, he's actually personifying mammon as a kind of God or idol, very much in that same vein of 2 Kings 17. But what are we to understand here by serving God or serving mammon? And here, Wesley's going to set up a, a contrast that I think is really helpful for us to understand what we mean when we say we serve God and what it means when we say we serve mammon. And so Wesley's first going to talk about serving God. First, to serve God is to believe in him. We cannot serve God unless we first believe in him, believing that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, to believe in him as a loving and pardoning God. And so to believe in God means that we trust in him as our strength, without whom we can do nothing, He is our help and our shield and our defender. Those people who are syncretizing faith in 2 Kings 17 were trusting in others to save them, hedging their bets, so to speak. But Wesley says there is only one who can truly save us. To trust in God next means that we trust him for our happiness as the only one who can give rest to our souls, the one who is sufficient to satisfy all of our desires. And to trust God to believe in Him is to have our eye fixed on Him, to use all things only as a means of enjoying Him. This takes us back to discourse number eight and Wesley's discussion of the singular eye, that singular intention of having our, our focus fixed on God as the only one who can provide us for with what we actually need, the one who is our ultimate Savior and Lord. So first, We serve God by believing in him. Second, we serve God by loving him, to love him as one God in heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is simple obedience to the great commandment. We desire God for his own sake. We rejoice in God. We rest in him. And Wesley says to have such a possession of God is to make us always happy. Again, we can't love two gods at the same time. We're going to hate one and love the other, as Jesus says, and love the one and, and hate the other. We need to understand that only in putting our trust and faith and love in the one true God will we find ultimate happiness, not only in this life, but in the age to come. So to serve God means first to believe in him, second to love him, third to serve God is to resemble or imitate him. And Wesley gives a quote here from one of the early church fathers that I find really helpful. It is the best worship or service of God to imitate him whom you worship. James K.A. Smith wrote uh, some great books on, on this kind of topic. He's a philosopher out of Calvin College. And one of his books is titled You Are What You Love. And I think that's absolutely true. We become that which we worship. There's an old saying in Latin from the days of the early church that goes like this, Lex orande Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi. As we worship, so we believe and so we live. What we worship, we love. And so when we imitate God in the spirit of our minds, when we love him with our whole hearts, we begin to resemble him in spirit and truth. We are transformed into the image of God, being merciful as he is merciful, loving as he loves. We become more kind, compassionate, not only for those who are good, but also we love our enemies. That takes us back to Matthew 5.48 and Jesus' teaching, that this is real perfection, being perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, to love our enemies. And so those who serve God are like God in loving every person, regardless of who they are. Serving God is believing in Him, loving Him, resembling or imitating Him. And lastly, Wesley says, to serve God is to obey Him, to glorify God with our bodies and our spirits, to keep His commandments, to avoid what He has forbidden. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is part of love. It's part of imitation. We perform all the actions of life with a single eye and a pure heart, Wesley says, offering them as a loving sacrifice to God through Christ. What does Paul say in Romans 12? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's full obedience. This is our our act of worship. As we worship, so we believe, and so we live. So to sum up again, serving God. Wesley says there are four things involved in serving God. To serve him is to believe in him, to love him, to resemble or imitate him, and lastly, to obey him. Now, the flip side of this is serving mammon. And Wesley also has four characteristics of what it means to serve mammon. First, to serve mammon is to trust in riches as our strength, to trust in them to deliver us. And that implies trusting in the world for our happiness, thinking that a person's life and comfort consists in the, consists in the abundance of things to expect satisfaction from the things of this world. This is the, the idea of accumulation. The more we accumulate, the more we have, the better off we will be, that we will be happy, we'll finally be content when we have enough. And I'm reminded of a quote I once read from Nelson Rockefeller. And some of you may be old enough to remember Nelson Rockefeller. I remember back to uh, the 70s when I was a kid hearing about Nelson Rockefeller. He was kind of the quintessential rich man, richest man in America kind of thing back in the day. He was the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of of his time. And the quote was interesting to me. Rockefeller was asked, how much money do you need to feel like you have enough? The question was something like that. But Rockefeller's answer was very telling. Here was the richest man in the world asked, how much do you really need? And Rockefeller's answer was, just a little more than I actually have. He was never going to be satisfied. When we trust in riches as our strength, we'll never be satisfied. There will never be enough. If we trust in those to deliver us, we will always be disappointed. Secondly, Wesley says, serving mammon implies loving the world. Now, by loving the world here, Wesley is not poo-pooing something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Obviously, we love the world because God created it. We love people because we we are created in the image of God, and we are to love all people, even our enemies. But for Wesley, to love the world means that we place our hope and joy within it that we set our hearts upon temporal things. We want the things of this world more than we want the things of the kingdom. We love the things of this world. We love the things that delight us, that meet our desires, that satisfy and gratify the desires of the flesh and the eyes. That means that we love the world. And we can't love the world in the same way that we love God. We can love the world through loving God. It changes our orientation toward the world, but we cannot see the love of the things of this world as our primary focus. So first, to serve mammon is to trust in riches as our strength. Second, serving mammon implies loving the world. And third, serving mammon is to be conformed to the world. It takes me back to Romans 12 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. To be of an earthly and sensual mind is to be conformed to this world, to be chained down to the things of earth. People who are conformed to this world are self-willed. They are lovers of self. They think highly of themselves and they seek the praise of other people. This goes back again to, to kind of what we talked about in the, in the last discourse, the idea that we are a world that's always looking for more likes, always looking for more recognition, looking to be influencers who actually don't do anything of value other than being influencers, self-focused, self-willed people. That's what it means to be conformed to this world. And it also means to be impatient and to resist correction. That when someone points out a fault, or points out the folly of this way of being, we are impatient to correct that. People don't want to hear it. And that's one of the reasons why social media is so insidious. People never will have a conversation on there when they are uh, challenged in their belief system. They will often double down. And those who do so, Wesley says, swiftly return evil for evil. They will will lash out in response. Serving mammon makes us double down on our conformity to the world. And then lastly, to serve mammon is to obey the world by conforming to its maxims and customs. This is kind of similar to the third point. But what Wesley means here is that to obey the world by conforming to its maxims and customs is to walk in the broad, smooth, and beaten path. Remember that here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to talk about the two ways, the narrow gate and the broad road that leads to destruction. And so to do the will of the flesh and to be of the mind of the flesh is being like the rest of our neighbors, traveling down that wide road that leads to destruction. Or in the famous words of ACDC and Scott, that's the highway to hell where there is no stop sign, no speed limit. Nobody going to slow you down. We gratify our appetites and desires. We aim at our own ease and pleasure. That's what it means to conform to the world's maxims and customs. To do what is expected by those in the world. So again, to review, to serve mammon is to trust in riches as our strength. To serve mammon implies loving the world. It means to be conformed to the world and a means to obey the world by conforming to its maxims and customs. And so Wesley now turns the sermon to the application and says, Now, what can be more undeniably clear than that we cannot thus serve God and mammon? These are two opposing worldviews. Doesn't everyone see that you can't comfortably serve both? To trim between them, to try to find a middle road, is to be disappointed in both. It is really popular today for people to say, I want to sort of run down the middle. I want to bring the best of both things together. I want to be a middle-of-the-road person. And as I am want to say often when I hear that, remember that the only things that ever stay in the middle of the road for long are yellow lines and roadkill. As Bob Dylan said in uh, his album Long Train Runnin'* and the song you got to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. It may be mammon. It may be God. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And those who serve God half-heartedly, who try to take the middle path, know only the toils and not the joys of religion. Wesley puts it this way. He has enough religion to make him miserable, but not enough to make him happy. His religion will not let him enjoy the world And the world will not let him enjoy God. And so by waffling between both, we neither have peace with God nor with the world. We feel like roadkill. And I wonder if this is why so many people in our churches tend to be miserable. Because they cannot let go of one to have the other. It's like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Jesus confronts him. The rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments? And he says, yes, I've kept these since I was a boy. But, well, Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. And it says that the young man went away sad because he had many possessions. He was torn between two gods. He wanted to go with Jesus, but his possessions, his reliance on mammon was holding him back. And Jesus makes it clear, you can't do both. As we said last time, and as Jesus talked about in the last passage, it's really difficult to serve both. You can't really do it. It's harder for a rich person to go to the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because you cannot divide those loyalties. Doesn't everyone see that you can't consistently serve both, says Wesley? To do so is to take one step forward and then always one step back. You build up with one hand, you pull down with the other. He is not the same man for one day. No, not for an hour together. He's a heap of contradictions jumbled into one. And so Wesley says, basically what Bob Dylan says, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to turn to the right or left. You're going to have to choose one or the other, God or mammon, whichever is truly God for you. This is an important teaching because so often we want to have our cake and eat it too. And Jesus makes it clear, Wesley makes it clear, we have to be all in one way or the other. Doesn't every reasonable human then think that they cannot possibly serve both God and mammon? They're contradictory opposites with irreconcilable enmity between them. Wesley puts it clearly, if you have faith in Christ, you cannot trust in riches. To trust in riches is to deny the faith. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, if we put all of our trust in what we accumulate, if we always feel like we're in scarcity, like we always need a little more than we have, then we're not trusting in God for our daily bread, as we talked about in the Lord's Prayer. We're engaging in what's really a kind of practical atheism, where we Deny that God can provide for us and we have to keep storing up more and more. It's like the parable of the rich fool in Luke where the man keeps building bigger and bigger barns until his life is required of him and he has nothing to take with him. You can't take it with you. If you love God, says Wesley, you cannot love the world nor the things of this world. Indeed, you've been crucified to the world. That's a very Pauline statement. We've been crucified to it. We're dead to it. If you resemble God, if you're made in his image, you cannot be conformed to the present world. You're being shaped for a different world. If you're not renewed in the spirit of your mind, you do not bear the image of the heavenly. You cannot bear the image of God and the image of this world. Do you obey God? Wesley says, then you cannot obey mammon. Do you please God? Or do you please yourselves? So therefore, Wesley says, we have to lay aside all thoughts of serving two masters. There is no end, no help, no happiness, but in God. We seek nothing but Him. And because we aim at loving Him and trusting Him, that takes us to the next section of this passage. We need not worry if we're putting our full trust and faith in God. And that's where we get into this whole section when Jesus is talking about not worrying about you wear, what you wear, what you eat, or, or what you're going to have. It's not that we don't have concerns in this life. Now, if we are of a what Wesley calls a giddy, careless temper, and we don't care, we kind of go through life, and we rely on everybody else to take care of us, and we just kind of breeze from day to day without having any diligence in the process— Well, that's not what's intended here in any way, shape, or form, Wesley says. That is farthest removed from the whole religion of Christ. So what he's talking about here is not an excuse to be slothful or lazy, but rather it is the will of God that everyone should labor for what he needs and for what his household needs. This is good and acceptable to God. We should plan our business before we enter it. We should plan carefully Remember Wesley's rules for money, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. This is smart stewardship. This is the care of the head that the Lord does not condemn. What he does condemn, however, is care of the heart, anxiety and uneasiness that can torment the soul. That kind of anxiety and uneasiness that can cause us to try to accumulate more and more and more as a hedge against the provision of God. Fearing tomorrow means that we cannot enjoy our daily bread today. We have to make sure that we are sufficient. We have what is sufficient for the day. That's what we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And so worry, here again, like accumulation, is a practical form of atheism. One is an atheism that is bound up in abundance. The other one is bound up in scarcity. We, we don't, uh, we, we're always looking for more or we're, we're accumulating more as a way of, of pushing against the future, of, of hedging for the future. And so worry, whether we're focused on the past or the future, is an offense against the God who provides for us today, Wesley says. Uneasy care is unlawful care, he says. With a single eye to God, do all that in you lies to provide the things honest in the sight of all men, and then give up all into better hands. Leave the whole event to God. So to have that single eye to do all that lies in you to provide for the things that you need, but then give up the rest to God and trust in him to provide. If God gave you life, will he not give you food to sustain it? give you clothing to cover it, and more especially if you give yourself to him and serve him with your whole heart. So anxiety is fruitless. It profits us nothing. We don't strive after the things of this world. The heathens do that and are a miserable lot for it because they serve mammon. But as Jesus says and as Wesley reinforces here, seek first the kingdom of God, believe in him, let him have dominion over you. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness, the fruit of God's reigning in the heart, love of God and humankind, producing the fruit of the Spirit and holy actions. If we're focused on this, if our eye is focused on the goal of the kingdom, as it is now and as it will come, then all these things will be added to you, all things that are needful. Indeed, we'll begin to see more clearly the difference between needs and wants. And I think that's the biggest differentiation we have to make as disciples of Jesus. There are a lot of things that we want. There are a lot fewer things that we actually need. When it comes to our stewardship, are we focused on what we need or are we focused on what we desire? Wesley says, cast your care upon the Lord, knowing that he cares for you. Don't take thought for tomorrow because God provides for you today and it is enough. Give yourself up into his hands. If you live another day, he will provide for that also. Above all, don't make the care of future things a pretense for neglecting present duty. Care for yourselves and for your family, but be careful not to let that care distract if we are not careful. If we get into a place of fear of wanting the necessities of life, that can lead us to the worship of mammon, because we get into a scarcity mindset versus abundance. If we're always thinking we need more, if we're in that not Nelson Rockefeller syndrome, then we can wind up worshiping mammon and edging into that territory. Neither should we take any thought of the temptations of tomorrow. When sufferings abound, Wesley says, the consolations of God will, in the same proportion, abound in us also. Remember what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into the time of trial We don't worry about tomorrow, we deal with today. The grace of God is sufficient for this day. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Live thou today, says Wesley. The past and future are nothing. Don't lose an hour. Enjoy the now by enjoying God. Gladly suffer for his namesake, recognizing that God has our tomorrows secure no matter what happens. Here's the closing quote. Take, therefore, just as much as he gives thee today. Today, do and suffer his will. Today, give up thyself, thy body, soul, and spirit to God through Christ Jesus, desiring nothing but that God may be glorified in all thou art, all thou doest, all thou sufferest, seeking nothing but to know God and his Son Jesus Christ through the Eternal Spirit, pursuing nothing but to love him, to serve him, and to enjoy him at this hour, and to all eternity. This is one of those sermons I think that is often difficult for us, given the way we're conditioned in our culture, because we are conditioned to always have a scarcity mindset, to think that more and more will make us happy. How much do you actually need to be happy? It's not as much as you think. I, th- I read a study on this years ago, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, I think the study said something like, how much do you need to be secure? And this was several years ago, but it was like, you need you need $70,000. I think that was the American reality to have enough that, that you need. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is that most of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And so, Another statistic I read said, if you have $2,000 in the bank, you are among the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. That's a sobering statistic. It means that we have more than we think. We have an over an abundance. We've had friends come here from Africa and go into the grocery store and and say to themselves, my goodness, how do you even choose? There are just too many choices. There's an overabundance. And in many ways, our overabundance is killing us. And not just having more, but the pursuit of more is what kills us. It pulls us away from what matters. It pulls us away from our dependence on God. We're not sharers. We're, we're accumulators. What does George Carlin say? Our houses have become places to keep our stuff while we go out and get more stuff. That's dependence on mammon, not on God. So this is a challenging teaching and challenging us to move out of the anxiety that drives that uh, sense of accumulation and instead trust in God who knows the lilies of the field, knows the sparrow. Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? It's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. Indeed, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is a great stewardship text. I've preached it before. And I will tell you, I do think God honors this promise in, in powerful ways. Years ago, when we started talking about tithing, Jennifer and I, we we decided we were going to trust God with that. And that's not always easy because that You know, 10% out of your income is a lot. But we decided to invest in that. And one of the things we discovered over the years, and and I'm not doing this in a prosperity kind of gospel way, saying there's a guarantee or that, you know, God gives you a a huge return on your investment. not talking about that at all. What we have experienced in our lives is that we notice now more, more than ever before, that there's always enough. There's enough with God when we trust in him, when we invest in him, when we give him what is due, when we recognize it all comes from him in the first place. Now that also means we have to be more disciplined in our spending. We have to be more disciplined in what we accumulate, and tithing actually does that for us. It helps us to To be more circumspect when we purchase something, when we make a major purchase, we have to talk about it, to ask whether we really need this or not. Is it a need or is it simply a want? And occasionally when we do want something, we'll save for it. We want to honor God in the way that we use our money. And I do think that God honors us, not by making us wealthy like the prosperity gospel preachers preach, that, that is a trap. But I do think God understands what enough is. And I think the more that we are disciplined in our, in our tithing, in our giving, in our management, our stewardship of our finances and our stuff, the more we begin to see, hey, you know what? There really is enough. And that's what we're promised. God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. He will give us our daily bread if we trust in him. So this is an important teaching. You'll notice Jesus talks about money quite a bit. Not just here in Matthew, but in the Gospel of Luke, that's especially clear. There are a number of places where he's talking about that because that is one of the major barriers that can get in the way of our entrance into the kingdom. We can be tempted to worship mammon and not God. And so I hope you'll take this to heart. You'll read through this sermon. It's challenging, but I think it's spot on. And I think that's why Jesus puts this as a centerpiece in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where the rubber meets the road. And which road are we going to take? The wide road of accumulation and hoarding and seeking to please ourselves? Or are we going to take the narrow road of pleasing God and trusting in him day by day? Well, thanks for joining me on this edition of Wednesdays with Wesley. We'll be back again next week with discourse number 10. I've put uh, the link to discourse number nine in the show notes. So if you want to read this sermon, I encourage you to do so. I also encourage you to leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. Tell your friends about it, share it around I don't know about you, but I just have found so much richness in studying Wesley's sermons. And I think there's a revolution here if we will do that together, particularly for those of us who are part of the people called Methodists. This has been in our tradition the entire time, but so many people have never read these sermons, and they are a treasure trove. So please feel free to share this with others. If you like what you see, again, leave a review. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rev Send me your questions at pastorbk at tlumc.org. And I look forward to chatting with you next time here on Wednesdays with Wesley. I hope you have a great week, and I hope that you are looking carefully at what God is calling you to do in your relationship to money and possessions. See you next time.